Most creative and purpose-driven entrepreneurs love coming up with new ideas and working with their customers and clients. But they hate sales, they hate marketing, they hate working on finances and spreadsheets. They also complain about cash flow, profitability and burnout. Their wheels are spinning because they focus on a narrow aspect of their business, like delivery and ideas, and they ignore all the other bits that they consider boring or uninspiring or difficult, like finances, marketing, positioning, selling, recruitment, etc. etc. There's a massive imbalance in where they put their attention and energy. Alan, our mentor and friend, joins us to help us learn to love all the business of business. He lays out the different building blocks of your business and he helps you appreciate the bits you shy away from and how working on them can bring more ease to your life, like chopping down trees. The image that comes to mind is, is Abraham Lincoln's quote. He was asked, if you're given four hours to chop a tree down, what would you do? And he said he'd spend three hours sharpening the axe and an hour doing the chopping. To translate that to the real world, for us solopreneurs or micro-businesses, it, it's, we're, we're doing the chopping every day, every day, every day. It's hard work. And very few people that I've met have had the chance and taken the time to step back and sharpen the axe. Because by stepping back and taking time to sharpen the axe, hold on a minute, I'm not chopping the tree down. And I've got to chop the tree down today and tomorrow and the day after. But people who do take time to sharpen the axe find it's a hell of a lot easier to chop the tree down and it's worthwhile doing that. Okay, quick question then. All right, what does it mean to sharpen the axe? Getting strategy, thought through, clear, vision, direction, values, all of that stuff, purpose, all of that, channels to market, positioning, all those things are sharpening the axe. And they mean, oh, my God, that means I've got to maybe learn something new. I've got to go off and write to, to some kind of strategy paper or papers. <gasps> That's out of my comfort zone. I'll keep chopping. All right, let's, let's, let's stretch this chopping the axe analogy as far as it can go. It takes some energy and effort to sharpen an axe. I've uh, got to get some water and a stone or whatever it is. Anyway, it, it, it is something there that I don't really want to do. The other thing that springs to mind is like, maybe I'm cho chopping the wrong tree. Yeah. I'm in the wrong forest. Yeah. I'm, doing, I'm collecting the wrong wood, whatever that may be. Mm. And so even thinking about sharpening the axe, or maybe I'm in the forest, but I don't know, do I want to stay here? Do I want to go do somewhere? You know, do I have to now work on this axe, even if I'm not sure if I, I actually enjoy chopping trees, for mm. instance? Mm. So to make that super plain, like why the hell should I do any kind of forecasting or use a spreadsheet if I have no idea whether this is the business I want to stay in or this is the business that I want to grow, for instance. Another one of these sort of analogies or phrases that, that get that circle around, I'm not sure who said this one, but it's all very well climbing the ladder of success, but you better choose which wall to lean it against carefully. And to your point about, I don't even know if I'm in, I'm chopping the right tree down. For goodness sake, life is short. Work it out. Seriously, be happy now. Why are you doing it? So let's go there and say, why are you doing this? If you're not sure it's the right tree to chop down, stop. Let's look at it, examine it, face up to it. And if it's the wrong choice, make another choice. Then when you've, you feel you've made the right choice, which in my mind is heart and head, it's both. There's the purpose, do what you love stuff. I absolutely believe in that. It's not enough, though. Business has got money going through it. It has to have one pound coming in more than one pound going out. Or it doesn't survive. It dies. So it's all very well being brilliant and loving the thing we're doing. But we have to have some understanding, at least a minimum level of understanding of what it is and how business runs, in my view, and how it works and all that stuff. I think mm. it's important. So I think that that question raises face up to it. And then once you know that you're on the right line, then 
embrace all of it. The word commitment springs to mind Absolutely. for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, no, 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 Lawrence, any thoughts around that idea of committing to one thing and what that might mean to people? It's scary, isn't it? Because, like you said, you're not sure if it's the right thing. And even just hearing Alan say, oh, you know, you only have one life, make the most of it, that also feels like a pressure to go, oh, okay, is this the thing? Is this the thing I should be doing? Is there a shiny thing over there that I, it's putting me in? So <clears throat> there's always a bit of FOMO, I think, when you commit to something. But like you said, I think it's probably about carving the time out to explore this stuff so it's not just a mouse on the treadmill. You know, you'll just keep going to keep going because you're scared of stopping because you're not sure what that might bring. But actually, like Anna said, just, just carving out time, asking asking yourself some deeper questions that might make you realize, is this something I want to devote my life to? Because ultimately, business is hard. And it's a lot harder if it's something you're not passionate about and don't care about. So, yeah, I would say time well spent but as we all know it's easy to get sucked into the weeds and you just don't get that time often enough it can feel less threatening to keep your head down and just mm. just hit hit that side of the tree mm. rather than stop and look around which some you know working with you alan you poked us and say all right right even that thing is like how much money do you want to earn well like money stories it brings up you know our fears our hopes all of these things and it's yeah, in, in many cases, it might lead to awkward conversations with, with mm. business partners or loved ones or family mm. members or or bosses. And so that's why it's easy to just ignore it and put your head down and go, la, 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 move on, because, mm. yeah, this, this stuff's not easy. And, uh, Lawrence, before you said about should, and that's always an indicator, the moment there's a should word in what you said, in other words, you said, I wonder whether this is something I should be working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this yeah? Then that's another. That's an external voice. Mm. That somebody else. It can be family, parents, anyone around, but it's not from the inside. Whereas I'm talking about coming from the inside about what we love for us makes me happy. And then mm. adding to that the business element of okay, if I do what makes me happy. I've got to check that it's going to work and it's realistic from a business point point of view. And to your point, Carlos, I think why not work out what we need as a family, as an individual? I, we need 50K a year, 100K a year. We can't survive on less than 150, whatever the figure is. We need that amount for our family, our kids. Now work up from there to therefore the business needs to give me this much. And then, therefore, the business needs to be turning over that much to make a profit of this much to pay me. That it's got. I think that has to be worked out. And seriously, you don't need a spreadsheet for that. It's the back of an envelope. Mm. Mm. I think there's that inside-out versus outside-in approach. Uh, the way I see it, because there's like when I think about the shoulds, is like I should have a marketing strategy. I should have a mm. website. I should be able to like uh, know know how I'm going to grow in terms of a business and my growth plan. I should have an exit strategy. All these to be a proper business, this is what I should do. Which feels like, all right, this is the world telling me how to do business. And what I'm hearing in terms of the inside out is like, what do I need Mm. in terms of uh, to survive, to be happy, to do the things I want to do, and that becoming one of the starting points for thinking about, all right, what do I then do in terms of delivering value? Is that, is that, has that been a useful way to help your, the people you work with to, yeah, to, to get clarity about what to say yes and no to really? It does. It does. And even the people, the entrepreneurs that come with the most financially orientated goals and that appear on the, on the surface, possibly, to be towards the dragon's den apprentice crap that I can't stand. Actually, the very reason that we're even having a conversation, they're speaking to someone like me, shows they recognize they need some kind of external viewpoint. And because I'm very clearly positioned as love and coming from a point of view of love business and from a heart, the very fact we're having a conversation means they're open to to questioning why do they want those financial goals what will it give them how will they really feel when they get there and by testing that 
if it isn't from the inside and it's to satisfy external judgments of some kind, we go there. We have that conversation and they may adjust it. But by the way, I've had that exact same conversation the other way around where somebody said, oh, I don't really need goals. I don't like them. I'm not very keen about having financial goals. And then we've talked in depth over a period. And then they've said, actually, you know what? I think it will help me to have a financial goal. And that's bigger than I might have thought before. So the conversation can go either way. It's interesting, the thing about goals. Uh, we were on a, a call uh, I think it was last week and we had someone saying is that they don't do goals. It's not thing, you know, it's not for them. It's like, they just like to, I don't know. I, I can't remember the exact words, but I'm going to say live in the moment, just, you know, accept uh, the emergent approach. And you, uh, the, what I thought you said is like, maybe this relationship with grow, goals is a growth point for you or a place to grow into because mm -hmm. there was, it might be a bias or an unconscious belief around goals. That's actually mm -hmm. stopping them from goal setting. Rather, yeah, there's a judgment there that's coming from somewhere. A fear of setting goals in case they're, they're, uh, they're not met. And I'm not advocating goals. <laughs> I'm not. It's not the, set, the, the right thing for everybody and every business owner. <clears throat> they don't, you don't have to have them. It depends what makes you happy. And that's what the thing to work out. And then if it's going to make you happy to have some kind of goals and if it will motivate you and the intention is the right one for the right reasons, they can be very motivating. You mm. know? And if they're not, don't have them. There's the kind of data-driven aspect of business and there's the – which has served many – you know, there's a number of businesses that serve them really well, sort of like using metrics and data to mm. understand what – what people want maybe or how how to modify and change their apps and their businesses but there's a fear of setting goals in in case they're not met that feels like a deeper thing to work mm. on <laughs> rather than just uh yeah what's what's another word we can use for goals and accountability so it doesn't feel so intimidating direction direction i was about to say yeah say. to mind a wide direction. Maybe if, if someone out there is thinking, ah, oh, bugger, like I hate goals, but it could, they could be useful. And it is really that thing of like, oh my God, if I don't achieve that revenue target or that number of likes or whatever it is, then then that makes me feel de-energized, I assume, is, is, the, is the, the response. So, so my, what I challenge there is, is your relationship with goals. And I'd, I'd seek to try to, to, um, reframe that, that it's useful to have a goal of achieving 10. And if, and if your relationship with that is that I achieve seven, but if I hadn't had the goal of 10, I might have only achieved five. And I'm happy that I got seven better than mm -hmm. not having the, 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 the goal and I did better than I thought I would. I've, I've won. I'm winning. I'm a success just because I haven't hit that top. So the old thing of reaching for the stars, you know, and you might get to the moon. Fine. Mm. Mm. Fine. So that's about relationship with goals to me. There's some kind of uh, attachment. Well, what? Maybe this is just me. Kind of a self-worth thing. Like, okay, if I don't achieve mm. that, I'm, it, it says something about my own abilities and my own, my own value or the value, my intrinsic value. Uh, on one hand, I think goals are really useful, particularly when you are trying to move to something really big, mm. breaking stuff down into more bite-sized chunks, which feels like you're making progress, feels like a really useful way to not get overwhelmed. But this whole thing of then attaching success to achievement of goals is is maybe the the difficulty that can arise because we think, all right, if we don't achieve that goal, then why carry on? Because I, I'm not successful mm. enough, or I, I, you know, I didn't I didn't pass the test. If that makes sense. Well, you you've just made an attachment of goal to huge, but a goal mm. can be going to the round the corner to pick up a, a Mars bar and draw, and walk back. Mm. That's a goal. Mm. It's, it's just, I think the word has become loaded. Mm. 
really completely loaded. A goal can be have to be to have a nice little business that turns over 50k a year and gives me a living. And that's a goal, but I'm starting from scratch. It might take me a year or two to get to that level. That's as much an, as a, of a goal and as important as some huge millions and millions and millions going around the corner and picking up the Mars bar. They're all the same to me. And playing with it as well, I think. Like you're saying it. it's easy to think of goals as like we have to hit that. Like you said, success is dependent on us hitting that target, which feels... Well, it takes the fun out of it for me because it's like, oh, uh, if you get to the end, it's just like relief rather than, wait, we've, we've achieved that goal, if that's the aim, versus, oh, we just set it as a direction, as a thing to aim for, and wouldn't it be cool if we got this, but it would also be cool if we got 7 out of 10 or whatever it is you're trying to do. So seeing it as something fun, something playful, rather than something uh, compulsory, I think is... Is important there's the 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 old thing of have do be right have do be so attached to an outcome when i have x i will be happy i'm not saying that absolutely not advocating that at all the opposite be do have mm -hmm. be happy with what we've got live into what it is we're aiming for be it it's not easy, this stuff. It's very easy just to talk about a few words here and there, and I get it. It's difficult to do. So then when you be it now, happy today with what I have, and I'm not looking at somebody else or, or being influenced by some should, to the point Lawrence made earlier, it's what I want for me for my life, then uh, do it on that basis and action, action it on that basis if it's a business and then and then eventually you may or may not have the thing you're aiming for but you're still happy along the way because you're loving what you're doing and enjoying it every day most days at least different mindset then you're not attached to the outcomes and you're not feeling a failure if you don't reach that specific outcome it reminds me of a conversation many years ago we were having in our happy startup clubhouse when we used to have a physical space about can you be happy and successful and the underlying i think tone or met sort of like essence of that question was like if you're so happy then you don't want to go anywhere so you just stay where you are and it's quite a passive thing and so you're never going to have you won't have a drive to achieve or make things or build things or make something happen because you're just happy. And so there was this sense of like, actually, if you just focus on happiness, you won't actually make a change in, in the world or, or life. But I'm assuming people here don't agree with that. <laughs> how we would, how, how would you explain that? Because to some of this, there's this uh, next month, we're going to be talking to Vic Sanderton about people who are recovering perfectionists or, uh, yeah, just the whole overachieving. So I need to succeed. I need to succeed. Need to succeed, and 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 then I'll be happy, which is the thing that you're talking about. Because if I don't do anything, that's lazy. And for me, goals is also a little about focus and commitment. You know, you need to say no to things and and do the work. But at the same time, is is the being aspect of it is interesting, and what that means in terms of our intake. Uh, our motivation to move and make things happen. I disagree with the link between happiness and passivity, really. I think where you're going there, though, is, a, is let's talk about purpose, a life without purpose. And if a, a purpose is to become wise, to meditate, to be a monk alone in a cave and, and be brought food for three months and see nobody, right? And that's ha happy. That person's happy, but the purpose, I would still say that particular individual has, is living a life of purpose for them that, that makes them happy. And that's just what's going on in, the, in their mind, in their body. It's very internalized, but they're doing an amazing journey. And it's for the, a purpose for the right reasons. It's, it's their intent. It's real. It's congruent. I see that can translate to why people are in business, what they're trying to produce, the service or, or the, the, 
the products that, that they bring to the world, um, if there's a purpose to the business that other than to make money, which is a given to me, then I think there's a link between purpose and happiness, not between happiness and doing nothing. Okay, depends what you mean by happiness, depends what you mean by success, doesn't it? So when we think of successful people, we think of people who maybe, you know, look to achieve things at all costs and maybe their their well-being is suffered as a result, maybe, or their relationships suffered, maybe. Um, but I think it depends on the individual, doesn't it? It's like what some people are happy in themselves and don't have that creative spark or, or deeper purpose that drives them forward, and that's fine. Other people are happy and also they want to, create things and get joy from that and, and growing from that and goal setting could be part of that or maybe not. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's too easy to make those judgments. I suppose that if you, if you're looking to fix something in the world or start something new, there's something wrong with you and therefore you're using business as a vehicle to, to heal. When you worked with us, Alan, we had, you had this kind of waterfall diagram thing about, um, I can't remember the other bits, but the various different bits about the business strategy and channels and stuff, spreadsheets, um, things further down. And so at the top, there's vision, purpose. Uh, and in our conversation yesterday, I got you, you corrected me because I was getting confused between purpose and needs mm. um, and how important it was to define those well, because mm. once we're clear about those, then everything kind of falls out from there. Yes. In my opinion, um, purpose-led businesses, which is a, it's a fashionable thing to say, buzz, buzz phrase, but what it really means is that the business owners and entrepreneurs have worked out why the business exists other than to make money and that the making money is a given. And all I mean by that is one pound coming in more than one pound going out. And for the moment, I'm ignoring companies that need to lose loads of money for a couple of years and go through hundreds of thousands or millions launching an app. Just in principle, a business makes one pound more coming in, one pound going out, and that's assumed. And so when there is a purpose-led business with a purpose-led entrepreneur, which is very common in our community, I think what binds us together is whether or not we've managed to articulate that. G generally speaking, everyone I've met in our community lives a purposeful life and wants to make a difference in the world and wants to make the world a better place with their services or their products. So what I'm saying is that when a business's purpose is articulated and the values are articulated and clear, that's part of sharpening the axe. And then when a vision is clear for the business, again, fancy business word, I just mean goal, direction, let's say, any of that. When that's clear, that helps to sharpen the axe. Then when the product or service is clear, really clearly defined with an understanding of the pain points of the target market, why we're doing the business is offering what it is, how it adds value, that's part of sharpening the axe. And then the positioning of the brand. And the brand can be Carlos Saba, Alan Wick, Lawrence McCahill, Blogs & Co. It doesn't have to be a, a, a company name. It can be an individual. But what does it stand for in the marketplace? How clear is that? How clear And how clear do we want it to be out in the marketplace? That's part of sharpening the X. And then finally, by getting channels to market again, you know, I try to avoid all the businesses, but knowing how you're going to get your product or service from where it's produced to the people you're trying to get to and working that out. Half a page of writing, a, a book, it, I don't care, spreadsheets, no spreadsheets, but all that stuff written down, those are the things that sharpen the axe. And then the day-to-day -day is still hard, we're still working hard, but in a more relaxed way. It doesn't feel reactive. It feels like we're more in control of our destiny, of the business direction and destiny. And day-to-day -day decisions become much easier because they're in service to all of the things I've just mentioned. And this is maybe 
part of what we're trying to hopefully get across is it it can start well i find it starts to feel weighty um particularly mm. if the the other bits are a bit shaky they're not 100% clear for instance like the product side of things and like there, there's I, and I, I, you know, we talk a lot about this um, in our program. It's like it's so important and so helpful. I should not important. It's so helpful, and it creates so much more ease when you know exactly the problem you're trying to solve, mm. how you're trying to solve it, and who you're trying to solve it for. Yeah, mm. yeah. And one of the difficult things that I think we come up against a lot is like, I want to help everyone. Mm. Yeah, because this could this could help with everyone because it's you know. I want to help everyone. And so maybe let's start with that. You know, if we want to fall in love with that aspect of um, being quite clear and uh, having to, well, let's say niching down is maybe a way of talking about it. Maybe let's see how, how can we, how can we fall in love by saying no to lots of people? Okay. So all the people who are parents will understand this, and I'm sure there'll be another analogy for non-parents, but changing a nappy, so I say to somebody, in the, I walk up to them in the street and I say, look, there's a baby over there screaming. They need their nappy changed. Please go over and change it. Why would they, right? Why would they? Is there joy in changing a nappy in itself? Hmm. However, we love our baby. We want our baby to be happy. We want our baby to stop screaming. <laughs> it's also bothering us. So we change the nappy. It's not necessarily joyous, but there's that moment of seeing them, their eyes, and we're looking, there's a connection. And it is not just the changing the nappy. There is a reason why. Mm. So I'm going to do a segue from changing nappies to doing spreadsheets and, and getting involved in, <laughs> in the finance and all that. Think of it like that. But when we love our baby, we change it we do it mm. even though we don't want so it's the same thing that's why purpose of the business and being clear about it similar to how we want to see our son or daughter grow up be a healthy happy boy or girl and adult same thing for the business the challenging thoughts that go through my mind is like hey okay spreadsheets maybe it's about the cash flow that's a classic thing that we use spreadsheets for okay so we're going to try and project cash flow so it's like oh I've got to know how much I'm going to earn in about three, six, 12 months. And I have, so, well, I know that. Mm. So then it's like, oh, you project, which in my eyes is guessing, which means, oh, my God, why do I need to guess? Mm. It's like, I might as well just forget about it. Mm. Um, get me to love the idea of doing that stuff <laughs> when, uh, yeah, and, and how I tie that to my purpose. Well, you, the, the way you set up the discussion just then i want to burst that i'm going to say no i disagree because it is impossible to be right so what we do is reframe that to say optimistically how do you think the business will do in three months six months a year realistically somewhere mm. in the middle how do you think it'll do pessimistically goes badly three now, with those three numbers, I think the business, if it does really well, 150K this year, somewhere in the middle, 100, and really if things are SH1T, maybe 75. We give that to somebody who knows how to do cash flows. We never try to do them ourselves. They're technical, they're difficult, and I don't think it's a good idea to do them unless you're already an accountant and know how to do that stuff. So what I'm saying is at least learn enough about the language and how they work and approach it from a point of view of high, middle, low, optimistic, realistic, pessimistic, rather than, oh, my God, what if I'm wrong? It's impossible to be right. So mm. forget that and give that to somebody who will do that work, hand them back to you, and you'll know then roughly over the next year what could happen from a cash point of view and you won't run out of cash nothing will be a surprise because you allowed for a pessimistic outcome i was going to play a bit of devil's advocate there because now it felt like okay oh god i've got this goal now don't go below 75 or else you're a failure but you're talking what you what i heard there is something about just being a bit preemptive and 
which is, I think, a bit scary still. It's like, oh, my God, I was supposed to make 10 next month, and now I'm only going to make six. That immediately makes me feel, oh, what am I going to do about it, which then makes me, I don't want to look at it because it's now mm-hmm. scary. And now all that spreadsheet work is a total waste of time now because I'm just going to run away from it. How, how do you make me feel less scared about looking at those numbers that might not tell the story that I want it to tell? I can't make you feel less scared. However, um, I can give you all the benefits of and reframing. And, and then in my work as a, as a coach, consultant, supporter of business owners, I'm holding your hand in, from my perspective. If people are on their own and they don't have the luxury of a coach, et cetera, and outside help, please don't do it by yourself. Please don't go into under the duvet. That's never going to solve anything in any part of our lives. And so the encouragement there is, for goodness sake, share it with a, with a spouse or a partner or a friend um, to help you along that so that you you feel less alone and less scared of it, mm. particularly if you're admitting, I really hate this stuff, I can't stand it. But, you know, it's got to be done. If there's yeah. a business, there's a baby. It is a, an alive thing and it needs looking after. I like what you said about sharing it. Um, challenge is, is sometimes our spouse or our friend <laughs> they 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 get triggered by oh my god the money's on so uh, Lawrence what any thoughts around that whole sharing thing particularly when it's something that's scary to with the business who best to share with and how to share it I don't think I've cracked that one <laughs> it, it feels so raw and intimate doesn't it to share your your finances particularly if they're not in a great shape with yourself never mind other people who maybe don't understand business so. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is, I think ignoring it, from my experience, often when we face up to it, it's never quite as bad as we think. It's almost like you're kind of facing up to the worst case scenario, aren't you? So you're actually getting all the information and going, okay, this is the best case scenario. This is the worst case scenario. This is a kind of middle case. And I think you just then have information to be able to act in a way that hopefully moves the business forward rather than, we've all been guilty of in the past and I'm sure people are now have put the blinkers on, just ignore it because it will hopefully go away. But from my experience, it comes back in other ways, whether it's sleepless nights, anxiety, um, you know, that fueling your decision-making in terms of what you pursue, your energy when you're selling and marketing as well. If there's a desperation there, mm-hmm. if you're feeling the pinch and you're thinking we need money to come in this month to pay the bills and feed the kids, that just translates even if you don't want it to, into bad energy, I think, when you try and communicate this stuff. So even if you think it's not affecting you and the way you talk about what you do, it probably is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that's one thing. It's like the hidden cost of, or, yeah, the hidden cost of not not trying to either learn about this stuff or even bring someone else in who can help you, you know, understand it better. From my perspective, particularly the, the, the friend or a spouse, is I think... It, it, Sharing, I totally agree. Once, If you're in your own head and you're trying to work it out, I don't think it's the best place to be creative. So being able to offload some of that to give get another perspective. I think the challenge I may be with a, with a friend, uh, luckily I have a friend who is in business with me, so he's a great person to talk to. But a friend who who is employed or hasn't run a business before or doesn't understand actually what it's to be like in that situation, that doesn't that, that doesn't always help. And the spouse thing as well, I think, you know, again, with my wife, I want to, you know, I'm trying, I am transparent with her, tell her everything. But at the same time, unless they're an entrepreneur, unless they understand business, you might say, oh, cash flow has gone like this or something like that. Like, what does that mean? Are we going to pay the mortgage? You know, there's, there yeah. has a whole other stuff that might not help you. So there's that aspect. And then in terms of like just being clear about the numbers and the spreadsheets, you know, personal story for myself and Lawrence is like when we're working with Alan, we're just like looking at, just profitability in inverted commas. When you actually do the numbers, how much time you spend on something versus how much money it generates and you're thinking of growing, it can really just change your perspective. All right, where should we double down? What is it? like? And for us, events, they're not the most profitable thing. They're amazing, amazing experiences, but they it is hard to make a lot of money on events. Coaching programs, 
uh, this kind of stuff that like myself and Alan, uh, us and Alan do, that's a lot easier. In terms of that, that's a lot more profitable for us, which can make us more sustainable. So on that level, the numbers thing, it was great for us to see that and see, okay, if we're going to grow, there's an area, that's where we can grow without burning out. Mm. But also from the heart perspective, which I also realize actually, but the events, while they don't make money, they're the best place to make connection. Mm. Not just connection as customers, but connection as a community to actually make people feel something that's really, really quite impactful. So you can't get rid of it just because it doesn't make money. Mm. And that is a values decision, which I think Alan's talking mm. about before. It's like, mm. what is the purpose of our business? Is it, mm. it isn't just about coaching. It's about connection. And so events has to be part of it, even though it isn't as profitable as we'd like it to be. Mm. And that, for me, is where some of the work, the hard work you try to get people to do, I can inform some of the decisions we make, even though maybe numbers it doesn't make sense or on um, a heart, you know, we, we run away from the, the hard stuff. Mm. I, I think you can look at it strategically, and I, and I agree. If you want to look at it that way, it's important. But, I, I you know, I'm much more now from talking from what alan has talked about in terms of purpose and also from what we talk about the happy startup school as well as future money and also based on what we talk it's support in terms of friendships in terms of connections in terms of community and you know to a certain level you know some of the events we would do we would make really hardly any profit but we would do them because we would get something out of it personally we would do that trip to india we would do that altitude trip that even though we didn't get everyone on there you know we would want to do that anyway because it's something that feeds us rather than it's just ah oh, they we they might be a customer further down the line and and that's that's the, i think the balance that we're trying to make here with being conscious of the numbers but also conscious about why we're doing it in the first place mm-hmm. yeah at least um, knowing them so you can add it to the heart stuff at least knowing them. To me, it's like a car and looking at the speedometer or the oil gauge or the, mm. the rev counter and looking out the windows to see where we are and all of that. I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. But I think accountants don't make it any easier because they speak another language <laughs> and, they, and they don't understand. I really think accountants speak Japanese and entrepreneurs speak English and, <laughs> and people think there's something wrong with them if they don't understand the speedometer or the rev count or whatever. And I think it's crucial just to understand enough to be able to understand what I need to know for my business, which is different Mm. from accountants doing things that satisfy companies' house. They're two totally different worlds. So they, 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 they don't mix well. And the majority of solopreneurs and small business owners think there's something wrong with them that they don't understand numbers and spreadsheets and the rest of it and to your point about doing you know some account versus coaching at least now that you guys both know the numbers and have done the work it goes together it's an an addition to the way you decide stuff with heart and what and what sustains you and and i think that's that that awareness is important being friendly with that stuff that we might run away from and on that note getting more friendly with finances and just making that shift of getting a bit more happy with business i wanted to invite joe uh, because she's someone who's worked with you and i feels like you know she can tell a story of that shift particularly given her the kind of work that she does so in in the meantime i think we had a question that i was yeah, see from if we can... Steph, is it? Yeah, Steph would say, how useful is looking back in business, i.e. analyzing what's happened uh, or happening versus forward planning? What's really important to keep an eye on, particularly beyond going beyond the profit and loss highlights? The answer is very important, both back, backwards and forwards, to know where we've been, where the business has been, and looking at the, the, the profit and loss and the margins particularly. So part of sharpening the tree is margin. And that, again, is not well understood, I found, particularly in the, so many of our community, our service businesses, and many people are selling their own time. And, they, and, and, and understanding the history of, of margin and, uh, and then what is the future going to look like it's both, in other words. So I'll just quickly uh, explain what I mean by margin. And that is that if I'm taking a certain amount out of the business, 
I'm still costing the business something even when I'm charging other people. So the difference between those two, there's a margin there. What I often find with people who are overworking and who aren't looking at the past and the future and they're going mad, they're trying to do too much in too little time, is that they're selling their products or services too cheaply. So they're like a tiny little engine revving at a million revs a minute with no time to think at all. And what that means is that they're the opposite of sharpening the axe. They're just madly chopping the tree down and wondering why they get burned out. And it's usually because the margin is too slim between how much I'm charging and how much the product or service costs the business. It's a horrible feeling. And that's why I said earlier that often, you know, we were talking about um, uh, working less and so on or, or do nothing and then and then things appear. I'd say sometimes I've been in businesses where it feels like the wreck of the Hesperus, where, the, where it feels like it's dead. It feels so calm and so relaxed and people don't seem to be rushing around. And yet they're making good margins, good profits, because they've got their business model right versus another business you walk into and they're going mad. They're all running around like headless chickens. And actually the model, there's something wrong with it. So by looking at the past and looking at, and then predicting the future and having knowledge of that is really useful. Brilliant. Thank mm. you very much, Alan. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, thank you very much for, for sharing, well, stepping up to share your story and, and particularly about this journey that you've been on with Alan as well. Just, I thought it would be useful to have a, real world context to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about rather than it just being us sort of shooting the breeze so maybe kick off just sharing a bit about you the work you do and then go into how you came across alan and and what you did with it um yeah so i'm a career coach and i came across alan actually on a friday fireside which is how i found him <laughs> um Come yeah and i definitely <laughs> had, a, had a fear of numbers goals yeah, all of it, all of it, really. Hence why the Alan talking about numbers, I knew that that's something I needed to to kind of focus on, really. And it's been good because it's helped me see how to model my business. Alan would probably say, I probably said that wrong. But, you know, now I'm doing moving to group programs because you start seeing when you do your numbers that you can't earn the amount of money you want to earn with just one-to-one. -one. So, therefore, start adding some different services. So, yeah, it does help. I mean, it's still, I still have a huge fear of numbers, don't get me wrong, but I have found an accountant who speaks English, if anybody wants mm. her. <laughs> Not <laughs> Japanese. Talking numbers, we talk about profit goals, things I want to do, like go and have coffee and cake and come to your events and things like that mm. to drive me forward rather than actual numbers she talks about right would you like to go for a massage this month well you might need to do some work because we need this money in your profit mm. so it's been absolutely brilliant actually and she even does an accountability call on a friday so now every single week which is what alan says we should do we have to look at our numbers and i join a group of people on a zoom for half an hour and actually do the numbers every single friday so, which I would never have done before. Mm. So, yeah, I haven't told you that, Alan, yet. So, exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my homework. <laughs> Fantastic. So, th there's, it feels like there's a, a a shift in mindset and and a shift of how you feel, maybe, and how how you how you think about business. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I love business now. Alan will be pleased. I'm even using his strap line. My goodness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. I do love it because I feel like I know everything now. I feel like I've got the foundations in place and I learned a lot, which I've still got to implement lots of it. The channels bit was amazing. Like I always thought I just use social media, really. And Alan told me that that isn't a channel, which is a bit depressing. So I need to start working on some channels because channels bringing consistent people and you you know how many is that right alan yeah so, so maybe, um, yeah, what does channels mean to you then now now that you've um gone it through with alan yeah building relationships with people that have got my ideal client i think so for example i'm starting a challenge next week on 
start your coaching business now, get perfect later. So I should really be building relationships with coach training organizations or something like that who have got my ideal audience. So that's that would be my next step. And working really hard at them. Alan told lots of stories about just knocking down the doors. It doesn't come easy. It took him three years to build a relationship with someone that finally paid off. You know, don't expect that you're going to just send them one message and and they didn't reply and I'm sitting at home so hurt that they haven't replied. And Alan's just like, you need to toughen up. Like, this is... You know, and then he told the story. Was it about the hotel in London, Alan, where you mm-hmm. spent a really long time building that relationship? Yeah. The Savoy, six months, 75 calls, 50 <laughs> letters. Yes. That got there in the end. So for yeah. maybe the benefit of Kim and anyone else, maybe could you elaborate a bit more about channels? Because, yes, well, you know, immediately I thought social media as well and kind of like um, marketing channels. No, once again, I, I have to go to money. Think of a flow of money. How does money flow? If if we were all making a breakfast cereal and we had a breakfast cereal, the happy breakfast seal, cereal, and we've got it and it's amazing, it's organic, it tastes good, low sugar, how would we get it to market? Where would we? And it's brilliant. We wanted to go really big and wide and help loads of people. So we could choose just to sell it from a website. That's it. One channel. We could choose to have some sales through our website and th- some through a dealer, two channels. We could se- choose to have franchises or licensees or people taking on ownership of certain aspects of the business and reselling, three channels and so on. They're routes to market to get to the people we want to get to. That's it. What isn't understood well is in service businesses, it can work the same way by creating relationships for example, with accountants or banks or lawyers or whatever, who already are dealing with and trusted by our target market, which means we've worked out who is our target market and forming relationships with them and then getting an uninterrupted flow of referrals month in, month out is really great. It's a great channel. Just as Tesco would sell the happy startup cereal and we know we'd get sales month in month out but it might take us months to form that relationship with tesco and so for you joe what you you talked about one channel there um as should you should be doing what is it oh can you identify other places that you think you might go for given you know giving you given the career coach and, and what you think you try to do in terms of cultivate those relationships um well i also do a lot of work with um businesses so i think that's a channel yes so and i also do a lot of work with trade unions because they obviously help people with their jobs so yes i have managed to create a few more channels wonderful mm-hmm. i thought just the way because again i i for me it's 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 trying to you, how how we use this language again the, whether it's accountants talking japanese instead of english is like understanding all right how how do i integrate the idea of channels in the way i work so it doesn't feel like just theory it feels like okay i, I could reach out to these people and yeah. and then and then there's the actual doing of it i know mm-hmm. exactly i suppose that's it it's like who's got if you were approaching mums well then you might think about nct group or something I think it's the people that have got your audience, essentially. Mm-hmm. Cool. I have lots of work still to do. But... <laughs> well, that's it. it's uh, the capabilities, and then actually using those capabilities. But that's that's all part of the journey, I'd say. It's like, uh, yeah. or you just wing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or just yeah, just slowly, slowly build on them and start building the relationships. I guess, and try not to be so impatient. I'm telling myself here. Well, that's it. I think that that's feels to me part of this is like right time, right action, uh, and knowing when to do some of this work without beating ourselves um, up because we're not mm-hmm. you know, we perfect business people with all the mm-hmm. knowledge or, or the right strategies in place. So, so from you, Joe, in a nutshell, now because you you've done the the course that Alan does uh, that Alan yeah. um, runs uh, the business of business. Um, and so in terms of your experience of it, how would you describe that journey of, of getting, falling in love with business? Yeah, I think the vision thing was brilliant. Like 
you can underestimate vision, I think, can't you? And, and actually, every question we came up with throughout the programme was, well, is that in line with your vision or, or not? Is that taking you closer or not? So I think that was a really amazing point. Um, and, and I got very stuck on the vision. You think, you'd feel like it was easy, wouldn't you? But it needed a lot of refining, which I've managed to do um, throughout the programme and finally kind of feel a lot clearer on my vision. And my experience was good because then you get to work with other business owners that are asking similar questions. And, and yeah, and you see you're not alone in some of the things that you don't, you know, understand or don't particularly enjoy yet. But yeah, I mean, I genuinely can say I, I do enjoy all aspects of business kind of now. Now I've got goals, goals to go for coffee and cake and stuff for my account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I might even start enjoying that one soon, <laughs> especially when I can attend some of your events, because that's my goal now for next year I'm working towards. It feels to me like aversion therapy. You know, if you're scared of spiders, go like mm. go spend time with a spider. It's like you need to face your fears, really. And it seems like from hearing Joe and from my experience, this stuff, it's actually not as bad as you probably think. You, just, you can start start to feel more ease because it's not like this kind of murky area that you're not sure about. You've got more information, more knowledge, and more support around it. So. Yeah. yeah, it feels uncomfortable opening that kind of can of worms, but hopefully it's um, it's worth doing. So yeah, so it's my take anyway. It's like it can feel fun, but painful at first. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. it. Alan, how about you? Um, well, can, am I allowed to do a little ad? Yes, go for it. Go on. Well, is this um, the channel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. This exactly. Is yes, it's a great example. Yes. <laughs> Um, the, the program that Joe's referring to called The Business of Business is now going for its second run starting on the 28th of September and there are still some places left and I would love it if anyone's interested have a chat and see whether it's right for them Thank you for listening to our Happy Entrepreneur podcast If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, or wherever you found this uh, podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about creating a new path for your work and business, a path that feels more meaningful, more purposeful, and more aligned to who you really are, then sign up to our newsletter on our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and you'll receive little nuggets of wisdom, stories of experienced entrepreneurs following this more purposeful path, and also a little bit of uh, wittering from myself and Lawrence and other useful bits of information and content to keep you inspired, keep you engaged, and keep you happy. Mm-hmm.